how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Animator turned director Jennifer U. Nelson is perhaps best known as the first and only female solo director of a Hollywood animated film for the Kung Fu Panda sequels 2 and 3. She's recently moved into live action with the young adult film The Darkest Minds. She knew she wanted to be an animator at a very early age. She went to school as an illustrations major, but drew live action storyboards as a kid. In this interview, she talked about her influences such as Ghost in the Shell and Akira and her love for animated hand-to-hand -hand combat. We also talk about the overwhelming responsibility of taking on a film like Kung Fu Panda 2, which takes a couple years to make. You also addresses the emotional core of the book and new series The Darkest Minds, which is her first live-action job as a director. The print version of this interview is also available on the Creative Screenwriting website. Well, my, uh, when I was in school, I hadn't really considered animation at all as a job. I was an illustration major, but I wanted to do live-action storyboards when I was in college. But when I was graduating, a lot of jobs were in animation. And one of the things that was exciting to me about animation is they storyboard everything. It's not like in live-action where they tend to storyboard only action scenes, which I love, too. It's just I wanted to learn about story and, and filmmaking and storytelling and uh, when I graduated, my older sister, Gloria, had a job in an animation studio, a little animation studio, and um, she said, well, they needed a PA. And so that's how I got my first job. I was making photocopies and getting coffee. coffee. <laughs> what were those, you know, first inspirations? Like, what kind of art were you drawn to or animation in the beginning? I was a big fan of anime. I actually didn't have a lot of exposure to American feature films. Simply because, you know, they didn't play them on TV as often as, as other things. I didn't have cable TV or anything like that. Um, so I watched a lot of anime. I watched, um, when I was in college, you know, a lot of the uh, the weirder stuff. And when I was first starting out in the business, things like Ghost in the Shell, Akira, um, Totoro, all these really, really um, across-genre animated movies that didn't necessarily cater to children. 
In terms of uh, DreamWorks, I know you kind of shifted from uh, animation to animation, also directing through the Kung Fu, Manda, uh, Kung Fu Panda series. I actually spoke with John and Glenn, uh, the screenwriters, a couple years ago. Where does this idea start at DreamWorks? Does it start with actual drawings? Does it start with a screenplay? What's kind of the just the basic overall process of getting a movie like this going? It actually started with a title because back then a lot of um, the concepts for a lot of these animated films, they would started thinking about an interesting area that maybe hadn't been explored before in, in animated films or uh, comedy ideas with certain animals. There are a lot of animal movies going on. Um, so when I first came on, there was essentially just a title and a very, very early draft. And so um, the, the idea came from the development department at DreamWorks, and I just basically heard the title Kung Fu Panda and... Uh, asked to be on in any capacity because I love the title so much. And so what's kind of your fascination? I've read that you've kind of uh, described yourself as an introvert who, and your friends would say also you, but you love action movies and that kind of thing. So how would you, you know, what, what was your pitch and how did you first get into that project to be on, to be on Kung Fu Panda? Well, um, I had always, I've, I've always been a fan of action movies and I've watched all the Hong Kong action movies. I was a huge fan of all the different kinds of martial arts. I mean, to look at me, you wouldn't think that I would be interested in all the different minutia of all the different kinds of uh, martial arts around the world, but I am, simply because um, I think it's a beautifully dance-like, choreographic um, discipline that also in involves biomechanics. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a weird thing. But the reason why I uh, asked to be on Kung Fu Panda was because I wanted to do action. And the whole reason that I got, I was interested in even doing live action movies when I was a little kid was I was storyboarding action sequences. That's what I was trying to do all this time. And I happened to get into animation because I enjoyed that too, but there wasn't as much opportunity for me to be doing massive action sequences hand-to-hand -hand combat in an animated film at that time. So when I heard that there was a potential for Kung Fu and actually doing, showing creatures doing Kung Fu in a feature film with that degree of budget, I just said I've worked, I had worked there about a few years before this happened. I'd proved kind of useful to the company. And they said, what do you want to do? Is there anything you're interested in? I said, Kung Fu Panda I have to work on this film because I want to work on something with Kung Fu in it. I want to push the boundaries of what you can do with camera and what you can do showing martial arts in an animated film. And on top of that, it just sounded like a funny idea. So that's, they, they basically gave it to me as, uh, okay, you've done a good job. You can have what you want. So what does it look like on, on the script when you're reading like a fight in an animated movie? Does it just kind of say there's a fight and the, and the art department comes in and decides, you know, possibly what kind of characteristics a panda versus a tiger might have in a fight? Or how did that all come about? Yeah, most of that stuff is not in the script because, you know, to describe an action scene in all detail would frankly make the script 500 pages long and also wouldn't be the most efficient use of the writer's. We had a very, very great story team, storyboard artists who basically brainstormed and came up with a lot of the physical 
uh, choreography of the um, action scenes, not only just the macro idea of what are the cool set pieces and how could we make each one of these fight sequences interesting, different, and emotional, but also we had a, a great um, actual physical kung fu, uh, martial artist who was also an animator on staff who was our, our um, martial arts choreographer who made sure that all the stances, holds, and poses were accurate. And what's the story? I've read a little bit about this, but you were kind of uh, asked to be in charge of the, the anime-style opening in, in the original film. Is that right? It's about two and a half minutes long? Yeah, because there was a, at the time, DreamWorks had basically gone all digital. We didn't have as much of a pipeline for a 2D animated sequence. And the directors were really adamant they wanted a 2D animated sequence, which was fantastic. Everybody wanted to do it, but we just didn't have the bandwidth to take care of it in-house. And so they made a separate pipeline, put me in charge of that, and I got to work with James Baxter at his studio. And James Baxter had worked for DreamWorks before, but now had a, his own separate animation studio. And uh, we did that separate pipeline to make that scene happen. And so you were asked to come on and direct the second film. Was it like, what, what did that, what was that experience like? Were you overwhelmed at first? Did you kind of have enough confidence to get going with it? Uh, I was completely overwhelmed with the idea because uh, as a head of story, you're basically someone that is, is basically the, uh, what do you call it, the special forces deployed to take care of problems. You know, you, you don't necessarily have to stand there and, uh, um, the final word in a lot of things. You can suggest all you want, but ultimately the blame falls on the director if something goes horribly wrong. Um, but I had been ahead of story for many years, and the thought of being a director, in my mind, was somebody that I wasn't, because I, I assumed that they were a lot more loud and room-controlling and um, assertively extroverted than I was. And and usually in meetings at work, I would be the one that spoke the least rather than the most. <laughs> Although people said that when I did speak, I, I usually spoke for a very good reason, so they would instantly go, well, what's she saying? Because it's important. So it wasn't about quantity. It was about quality for me. Um, but uh, Melissa Cobb, the producer, told me, you really need to do this. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for the film, and you need to do it. And initially I thought, no, I'm not going to do it. But then she assured me that um, my confidence level is far lower than I should feel, uh, far lower than it should be. So she told me that she gave me that 2D animation test. It's kind of like a confidence builder to show that I could run a pipeline and that I could sort of take ownership over a section of a movie and and, and still feel okay about everything. <laughs> so it was basically training wheels. And animation's uh, quite different. I mean, most of the directors we talk to, uh, they'll be actually directing for like less than two months usually. How long were you actually directing the project? Oh, they take about four years. The second movie took three years. The third movie took four years. Usually they take around four years to make. Are you doing other projects at the same time, or are you solely focused on one project? You're solely focused on one project for the entire time, <laughs> which is kind of, uh, kind of amazing if you think about it. I saw the, uh, an Academy video that you, uh, that you worked on. Like They're kind of interviewing you, and you kind of take some time and, and read or play video games. 
how do you kind of, un, is that what you mainly do to unwind? Does it help you kind of just clear your head and then you can get back to drawing and storyboarding? It does. That's pretty much what I do. I draw for myself. Um, I make little movie animatics for myself. I read books. I read comics. I watch movies and anime and play video games or watch my husband play video games because it's less stressful. Because <laughs> then he can just win. <laughs> But other than that, I, I pretty much uh, chill out that way. So you're definitely a, a more visual person. Like a lot of our listeners, um, if they have an idea, they'll write it down on their phone. Do you do you automatically go and sketch out something? Is that what kind of ideas come to you normally? Some people say that their their brain is in their hand, and mine is definitely in my head because I I have to see it completely done in my head before I know what to draw. So before I ever put pen to paper or stylus to screen, I always just walk around for a few hours or even a a day or so and just get it completely finished in my head first. And then I know pretty much kind of like projecting an image on the paper or the screen, I just trace what's already done. Um, That's kind of my approach. So how did you, um, for your new film, Darkest Minds, how did you kind of come from this animation to live action? What what was that like for you preparing to make this new movie? Well, as I said, I'd always wanted to do live action. And when I was doing all those um, boards for myself, I wasn't thinking of an animated scene. I was thinking of a live action scene. And I literally would put it through a filter in my head to try and figure out how to animate it rather than the other way around. So... When it comes to live action, I wanted to not have to use that filter. I wanted to do something that was a real live action film. And um, so for me, the process in the beginning was exactly the same. Prep for a film is the same script, development, uh, working with the actors, you know, developing the imagery, all that stuff was literally the same process. The shift came for... um, actual production when we're out doing the shoot. And what kind of, uh, this is a popular uh, novel, what kind of attracted you to this uh, screenplay and story? Right. I actually love the emotional core of the book. Um, There's a lot of scripts that you read, and even in the very early um, iterations of these scripts, they don't necessarily have an emotional core. They may have a plot or they may have an interesting character, but this one did, and it existed in the book. It existed in the earliest screenplay. And when I read it, I thought, if you have that, you know what you're shooting for. You know every single scene has got to go to that emotional point. And because of that, I kind of, I, I just wanted to see that live <laughs> in order to get that emotional point to work. When you're looking for something like that, is there just one emotional point in the film, or are there multiple that you're kind of tying together that you're drawn to? Usually it's one. Everything serves the one. And uh, for me, it's that sort of pivotal moment where you see, like, people cry or, or something like that. It's, it's a peak emotional moment. Um, and usually, or... Every time I've ever seen it, it's usually one. When you're coming from animation where you're spending three or four years on a project and you move over to a live-action film, um, I would imagine you're you're almost more careful or more hesitant because you can't really make mistakes in animation because you know, it'll take so much time and money to fix them as far as story goes. Is that kind of how you approach this project? I think when you're working in animation, 
it's such a different time scale that it's very refreshing in live action that you're basically beginning, middle, and end done in about a year, <laughs> year and a half maybe. It's shocking. And if anything, it's incredibly liberating. Not only do you have to make decisions quickly and see the results quickly and react quickly off of those, you um, also get coverage so that you can sort of experiment a lot more with what footage, what the footage can say. Um, in the case of animation, you have to pre-plan everything to the point that by the time you actually edit the final product of the movie together, you're not changing that much because you can't. You only have one angle. You only have one version of the scene. You have down to the frame exactly how much footage you have. And you can't just suddenly say, hey, why don't we like find another camera angle for that shot and, and get a different reaction from a different angle and then catch this surprise little you know, expression shift that this act, background actor did. Well, you don't get any of that. You got to just deal with it. So it was incredibly liberating in live action to just how let the happy accidents happen. Obviously, you're very uh, talented and, and driven to, to work on these films, um, but you had a lot of a really great mentor. It sounds like in Melissa Cobb, and I've also read that you had some conversations with uh, Gilmore del Toro in the beginning. What advice do you have for people maybe finding those mentors and or getting in those environments where they're allowed to kind of explore and experiment some? Well, of course, it'd be different for whatever um, background folks might have. I've seen a lot of people get internships in studios, and they get access to people that they wouldn't normally get. And I think that's a really good way to go, simply because you get to see how the system runs. And also, you know, you're only there to be helpful and to be helped. So that's one good way of approaching it. The other way is, as you're working on things that you may not necessarily think of as exactly what you want to do, everything's an opportunity. You're bombarded by possibilities all the time, and it's a question of being ready to take advantage of those opportunities. So I say just be ready. <laughs> um, so you've been asked this question a lot about uh, breaking glass ceilings and that kind of thing. I think it's interesting that with animation, you can kind of really, you know, prove your, your differences and, and things like that versus maybe a screenplay, which is just, you know, every, every screenplay physically looks the same. Um, but do you have any specific advice for women in the industry who want to write or get, get into animation or direct? Any specific advice? It's a hard uh, question to answer because I don't feel like I did anything radically, insanely unusual in order to be one of the rather rare group of female um, film directors in animation. It just seems it baffles me why I would be any different than anyone else. Um, as far as women aspiring to do this job. So I think the the main reason why I am where I am is because I had somebody support me. I had people say, you need to do this, be an advocate for me getting a, this job. So I think that a lot of the time people think, what do I do as a person walk into the room to get the job? That's only half the picture. You have to be incredibly ready for these jobs that are being offered to you to sort of minimize the risks risk someone is taking. But that someone has to take that risk. So I'd say the big thing is to 
form those mentorships, get those relationships, become very useful so that people will know and want you around. And then those opportunities are more likely to happen. Well, thank you for your time. Is there anything else you'd like to add about the new film, The Darkest Minds? Yeah, it's a very, very emotional, romantic, but also great character-driven film. And uh, really enjoyed making it. Met some of the most amazing people I've ever met on it. So it uh, it was a fun ride. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.